We've been talking about one nation under God, and uh, I forgot we've been doing this. So I know you've been standing a little bit up and down, up and down. Uh, but if you would stand one last time with me, we've been starting all these by saying pledge allegiance to the flag. Our flag is over here in the corner. So if you would face over there with me, put your hand over your heart, and uh, let's say the pledge of allegiance together. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. You may be seated. One nation under God. There's a little thing coming up in just uh, not too long away called an election. Anybody hear about that? I think it's a little something going on. Uh, you may have heard about it. It's a little bit going on. There will be a little election going on, and it has the world... As we know it, kind of in a tizzy, doesn't it? Amen? Uh, you know, it's, uh, and I don't know where your stance is. And as I've said, these messages are meant to be what our responsibility is. These are really not meant to be political messages endorsing uh, one candidate or the other. But uh, this election seems to be more polarizing than ever. Amen? Now, it's always been kind of a matter of fact is... Uh, I want to vote for my guy. I want to see my guy in the White House. And if my guy don't get elected, then I kind of get a negativity and I get a the sky is falling sort of thing. And that's always been around. But it seems like this election and even the last one, it just seems to be getting more and more polarizing. Politics is getting more and more divisive, more and more polarizing. And so what I want to talk to you about uh, over these uh, last few weeks and today is that, uh, you know, no matter who sits in the White House, they may think they're in charge, but they're not really in charge. Amen. My Jesus uh, sits on the throne, and he's sitting on the throne no matter who sits in the White House. Amen. And uh, God has used righteous leaders for his glory, and he's used righteous leaders to accomplish his will, and he's also used unrighteous leaders to accomplish his will and his glory. Amen. So the fact of the matter is really whoever ends up and whatever your thoughts, thoughts are on them, uh, that God is still in control and he ultimately is the guy in charge. Amen. And so we're going to talk today about culture and we've been saying, well, what is, what is your part uh, in the election? Your part in the election is to pray, 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 go vote, pray, 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 and pray. Amen. So pray, 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 go vote, then pray, pray, pray some more. Amen. And even after November the 3rd, what should you be doing? Pray, 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 pray. Well, I don't want to pray for that guy. Well, get over yourself. Amen. The Bible says I am to pray for you. It doesn't say I necessarily have to agree with you on everything. But guess what? Whoever God places in that position, you and I should be praying for them. That the will of God that would be done and that God would control and that God would be on the throne. The greatest part of uh, the Lord's Prayer is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the greatest part of the uh, Lord's Prayer. That's the greatest part of any prayer you and I pray. So that should be the way we approach it. Pray, pray, pray. God, we want who you want uh, in charge, and then go vote. That's your civic duty. That's your, uh, I believe that's your Christian duty. That's your responsibility. And then continue to pray, and even after it's over, continue to pray for your leaders. Listen, uh, I will say this. Uh, you don't just need to pray for your president either. You need to pray for every person in leadership. In as much as we are concentrated on the president and who sits in the White House, 
I'll be honest with you, he really doesn't carry most of the power. It's really those guys that sit in the Senate and who sit in Congress that carry most of the power. So you need to be praying across the board. You need to be praying uh, for everyone in leadership. And then you get down to local leadership and who leads our state and who leads our city and uh, all those things, amen, because it's all interconnected. Uh, you and I, this is not our home. Can I get an Amen. This is not your, if you're a Christian, this is not your home. Uh, quoting the old song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Heaven is your home if you're a believer, amen. Uh, but uh, God has given us uh, this uh, earth and uh, we are to be good stewards of it and we are to do everything we can. I believe, I believe this time of year and election years are extremely important. Uh, again, it's not a sky is falling sort of thing, uh, but guess what? You and I, we, uh, I believe we have a responsibility to let our voice be heard uh, and then to pray for whoever ends up there. So we're going to talk today about culture. Now, how many of you would say that we live in a culture today that is kind of more hostile towards Christianity than it used to be? I would definitely say that. I would definitely say that as culture has gone on, uh, Christianity used to be the norm. Uh, Christianity used to be the majority. And I would say these days that Christianity has become the minority, unfortunately. And so I believe you and I are kind of like salmon swimming upstream. Uh, as Christians, and the way we believe and the way we think or the way we ought to think and the way we ought to believe, we are going against the grain. We are going against culture, all right? Uh, so how do we as Christians live under God in a culture that uh, is increasingly hostile. Uh, many don't know that the words under God, we just said the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, I don't know if you know the history behind the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance did not have the words under God in it until 1954. Uh, I didn't know if you know that. Uh, the original was composed in 1887 by Colonel uh, George Balch, and it wasn't until 1954 in response to uh, communist threats that President Eisenhower suggested to Congress the addition of the phrase, under God. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, you might have thought that was always in there. That really didn't come up until the Cold War, uh, if some of you are old enough to remember the Cold War and communism. And when communism kind of became a, uh, a, a big thing, and uh, you might be old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis and all those things that went on with communism. And so uh, that's when President Eisenhower added in the words, under God. Okay? So uh, what are you under? Are you under God? Are you under culture? That's what we're going to talk about today. What are you under? And maybe you don't even know what you're under, and maybe you don't even realize what you're under. Now, I can tell you, everybody in here today, uh, you're on a scale. You're, uh, and if we were to do a scale today and we were to say, here's culture over here, and here is under God over here, uh, you may be on the scale of one. You may have, God may have no influence in your life. You may not care a thing about God. You may not care a thing about what God thinks. You may not care about God's opinions or God's character or any of that. So guess what? You're going to be totally influenced by culture. All of your decisions will be made pretty much based upon what does everybody else think. Uh, majority. The majority rules most of the time, but does that mean the majority is right? <laughs> no. Uh, something can be totally wrong. 
and nobody can be doing it. Something can be totally right, and nobody can be doing it. It doesn't really matter how many people are for it or against it. Uh, it matters what is, there's still a right and a wrong way, amen? So are you influenced under culture, or maybe you are totally surrendered to God, and you're totally on the other end of the spectrum, and everything you do is filtered through God's opinion of it. Now, I hope we're all the second one, amen? But I'm also smart enough, been around long enough to know that probably not a lot. Uh, if you're really sold out to God, then everything you do filters through what does God think? What is God's opinion? What is God's character on this? What does God say about this in his word? Uh, if you are a true follower of Christ, then that should be the filter everything goes through. But quite honestly, probably most of us are somewhere in the middle. We let culture influence us way too much. Uh, if you read magazines... If you watch television, if you get on the internet, then I dare say there's no way you're not influenced by culture some, to some degree. So the reality is most of us are probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, even, even most Christians, I would say. We want to filter everything through God, but man, we sure do get a whole lot of what culture says uh, forced in our ears, don't we? I love, uh, I love uh, the time in which we live, and uh, I love that it's a, uh, you know, I love that, you know, so many things are uh, so convenient. Technology is a real blessing, but technology is one of those things I tell people, it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time, isn't it? Uh, it, it can be a blessing, just so, many, so much information, but guess what? I believe uh, sometimes we've got too much information, and we can get too much of the wrong information and too much culture. Uh, if you and I, if you want to argue a point with me, uh, you can go on the internet and you can find a hundred articles backing up your opinion. And guess what I can do? I can get on that same internet and I can find a hundred other articles that back up my, my opinion and my view on that. Amen. So have we really accomplished anything? No, we still disagree. And I can still find We just, we're oversaturated with information. And I really wanted to share with young people today that young people, uh, you need to be strong in your convictions because as bad as it is right now in 20 years from now, it's going to get worse. Amen. I don't want to be a, a doomsday kind of guy, but I will say this again, like we've said, uh, it's not a question of if it gets better or worse. I've read the back of the book. It gets worse before it gets better. The question is how much are we going to stand? And I believe as each generation goes along, it's harder for us to take a stand. I believe it's harder for you and I to stand as Christians today than it was 10, 15 years ago. Do you believe that? Uh, you're going to get more ridicule. You're going to get more uh, what we call persecution. It really isn't. But somebody might make fun of you or somebody might call you a name or somebody at work may say, oh, look at the holy roller. Uh, you know, that's our idea of persecution. Uh, it's really not that much persecution. But uh, you and I, th that's more likely to happen today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I can almost guarantee you that 10, 15 years down the road from today, it's going to be even harder to take a stand. So that's why I tell you, the younger you are, the more you better get set in and the more you better make up your mind, where do I stand? And you don't make a decision in the heat of the moment. Amen? 
when do you decide that you're not going to give away your virginity? Uh, in the heat of the moment or when you're alone in your bed? No. You make that decision way ahead of time, and you say, I'm going to remain pure until I'm married. That decision is not made in the heat of the moment. You make that, and you resolve that when you're a young person, and you say, I'm going to save myself, and I, I'm going to do that. All right? If you're going to live for the Lord, uh, you need to resolve to make yourself that I'm going to stand for the Lord. The time, if you were to be challenged... And I don't know if you and I will see this, but maybe we'll come to a day where somebody will say, you either renounce the Lord Jesus Christ or we're going to take your life from you. Or you're going to lose your job. Or you're not going to be able to purchase food or any products anymore. The time to make up your mind what the answer to that question would be is right now. It would not be in the heat of the moment. It would not be you and I need to resolve. If I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand all the way. I'm going to stand for Christ and I'm going to stand no matter what. It costs me. And the time to get that resolved is right now, all right? So what are you under, all right? Under culture or under God? Are you under entertainment? Uh, listen, again, television. I, I called it last week in Sunday school, I believe, the idiot box. That's what somebody uh, nicknamed it. And uh, unfortunately, it is. We love to watch TV. Uh, it's Why is it easy, cheap entertainment for us? Because I can turn on the television and I can shut my brain off. Amen? And I just kind of go brain dead. Uh, and guess, but guess what? When that television's on, what am I being fed? I'm being fed what culture says. I'm being fed a bunch of junk. Uh, are you under money? How many of you are just working for the man, and it's all about how much money can I make if I could make just a little bit more? You know, they went through and they asked people, how much money would be enough for you to be comfortable? You know what every answer was just about? Uh, the general rule was it was about twice as much as whatever they made at that moment. In other words, we've been conditioned to think that, well, all right, if I made twice as much money as what I make right now, then I would be comfortable. You would not. You would not. Uh, you'll just, we will blow and spend whatever we make. Amen. And whatever we make, we just tend to adjust our lifestyle. And guess what? Eventually that becomes not enough. All right. So guess what? We can be lured into just being under money. It's all about money. That's, it's never enough. I'd love to go to church, but I got, I got to work on Sunday because they pay me time and a half or they pay me double time to work on Sunday. So sorry, God. I got to set you off to the side. Uh, are we being influenced by money? Are we being influenced by words? What, is, what does everybody think of me? Um, listen, this is a social media deal here. Uh, how many of y'all like my pay? How many of you are my friends on Facebook? rest of you, shame on you, amen? Uh, I, I, you, you can get real caught up in, well, why isn't Martin my friend on Facebook? I sent him a friend request about three weeks ago, and he still has not responded. And my feelings are really hurt. And I'm, I'm going to have a talk with Martin, and I am really not happy with Martin. Amen. And so we need to understand that we can get all caught up in how many likes we get, uh, you know, who liked my photos, who didn't like my photos, uh, you know, who, uh, well, why did they like their stuff but they didn't like my stuff? We can get all caught up on that and wear our feelings on our shoulders, and we can be so concerned about what people think of us that we have no time to think about what God thinks of us. Amen. Uh, work. Uh, many people are workaholics today. That's kind of seen uh, as a socially acceptable sin. Uh, many people work all the time. They never spend time with their family. They never spend enough time doing other things. Uh, they just work, work, work all the time. And I'm here to tell you, it's as much an addiction as anything else, and it can do damage to you. Amen. Uh, life is not all about work. Life is not all about making money. Life is not just about 
paying bills, paying taxes, and dying. Amen? There is more to life than that. Uh, you may not, like we said, you may not even totally know uh, what you're being influenced by. Uh, so I wanted to give you kind of an example. Have you ever been around a drunk person? Anybody here ever been around a drunk person? Anybody in here ever been drunk? Don't raise your hands. Amen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are very quick to raise your hands there. Amen? This is not confession time. All right? Uh, they call that something. When you're drunk, what are you? You're under the influence. That's, that's kind of the technical term for it. Under the influence of alcohol. Amen? Now, what happens when somebody is under the influence of alcohol? All right? They do stupid things. It affects the way you think. It affects the words that come out of your mouth. Uh, it makes people look different. Everybody starts to look more attractive the drunker you are. Amen? I know some, some of you wouldn't know anything about that. Amen. Uh, you know, I think uh, our, uh, uh, the great theologian Neil McCoy had a song called Billy's Got His Beer Goggles On, uh, talking about how people look differently uh, when, when you're under the influence of alcohol. And uh, you think differently. You talk differently. Uh, it affects your, uh, your mind. It affects the decisions that you make. You, make. you tend to make really dumb decisions when you're under the influence of alcohol. And it lowers your guard, and it makes you more vulnerable, all right? Um, drunk people are not always aware that they are under the influence. Sometimes people get drunk, and they don't know they're drunk. And they're acting stupid, and their friends are trying to tell them, you're acting stupid, and you're sounding stupid, and they ain't listening because they're not aware they're drunk. Amen? So, uh, I would say this is kind of the same way we do. Sometimes we are under the influence of culture and we don't even realize we are under the influence of culture, all right? I'm gonna, we're going to look at a guy. What if, uh, and here's a statement. Go ahead and put this up there. What if we are so intoxicated by culture that we aren't even aware that we are under the influence, all right? So maybe you are intoxicated with culture. Uh, and you may say, well, Brother Mark, I'm not intoxicated by culture. Uh, do you want to dress the way that is popular? then yes, to some degree, you're intoxicated by culture. Do you want to have the stuff that you see on TV that says, man, you got to drive this car, or you got to wear these jeans, or you got to do this to be really cool? And if you'll drink this beer, then you'll be cool like that person. Don't you want to be cool? And don't we look at, uh, how many of us look at the movie stars and say, oh, I wish I could be that cool. I wish I could have my life that together. Uh, whether we realize it or not, we are all to some degree under the influence of culture, okay? Uh, so, and we don't even realize it. Uh, so let's look at a story today, and then uh, this will be our main guy, and then we'll wrap it up. It's the story of Daniel. I don't know if you've ever read it. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Let me give you a little bit of the background. There's a good guy uh, in the story. His name is Daniel. There's a bad guy. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar, all right? And here's what had happened. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had come through, and he had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He'd burned the temple to the ground. He'd wrecked the city, and he had taken captive all the children of Israel. All right? And he took, what happened was he took the best and the brightest uh, of the children of Israel, and they intentionally indoctrinated them into Babylonian culture. So King Nebuchadnezzar was king of the Babylonians. They came in, wrecked the city of Jerusalem, and pretty much took all the children of Israel captive and uh, made them their slaves. But when they took them slaves, they took the brightest, uh, best young minds, and they said, we're going to take these young people, and we're going to indo indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. Now, Babylonian culture was very ungodly. 
uh, Daniel and his friends, they worshipped Yahweh, the one true God. All right? Babylonians worshipped many gods, and they were pagan gods. They had kind of like what some uh, religions do today. They had a god of the sun, a god of the river, a god of the water, a god of all these gods, and they were pagan gods. And so the Babylonians were extremely powerful, and they said, we're going to take all these young people because we know that the young people are the future. And we're going to take these young people, and we're going to brainwash them into Babylonian culture, all right? In very many of the same ways that our young people today can get brainwashed into culture, all right? And so uh, that's kind of the background, and uh, they're going to try to, uh, to indoctrinate Daniel and his friends, all right? So let's go to the, um, despite every temptation, Daniel remained faithful to God, all right? And he's going to be our hero in this story, all right? Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and were quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So they took only the best, and they brought them in, and they put them under three years of training uh, to pretty much make them good Babylonians and uh, where they would be indoctrinated in that culture. And then they would make them leaders in that kingdom, all right? So um, let's see what happens, all right? Uh, The enemy wants to do the same thing that they were doing. Uh, They changed their language. uh, They changed their education. They uh, changed their thoughts. They even changed their diet. Um, One of the main parts of this story is that the food that they were serving, Daniel and his friends, was dedicated to pagan gods. This whole thing will come down to all of the food that they were serving them was being dedicated to the pagan gods. They had changed all their names. Uh, Daniel and them had certain names. They gave them new Babylonian names. And, uh, but the thing that kind of brings this all to a close is this food that they're talking about, all right? Uh, the food was dedicated to the pagan gods. They had changed their names, uh, and uh, the enemy wanted to influence them the way they think, the way they believe, the way they behave, and it was a full-scale attack. The enemy wants to seduce you, he wants to lie to you, and he wants to deceive you. How does he do it? He lulls you into complacency. You cannot halfway follow Jesus. Uh, You cannot passively be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, You cannot, all right, uh, serve him just halfway. What is the situation? If you want to get in shape, can you get in shape if I go work out one day a month or one hour a month? No, no. Uh, I may say I want to, but what am I saying about my action? You're not really wanting to do it. Uh, If I say I want to eat healthy, but I only eat healthy one meal, a month. It's not going to do it. Uh, many people think I can be a strong Christian and I can just show up for church one time a month. Many people think, well, I can just read my Bible once a month or I can just pray once a month. Listen, anything that you're going to do, if you really want to do it, you can't do it halfway. You can't be passive. You have to be intentional in doing it. All right. So I'm here to tell you today, if you want to be a true Follower, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be totally intentional about it. No passive, uh, totally sold out to the Word of God. Let's see what, uh, go further down in the story. 
in uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to bow down to what you want, King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the point, you remember, where Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. And uh, God ends up saving him out of the mouth of the lion. But Daniel purposed in his heart, and he said, I'm not going to bow down. He let them change his name. He let them change a lot of different things. But it, when it came down to it, and they were giving him this food, and they wanted him to eat this food, which had been dedicated to the pagan gods, he said, I will not defile my God. You can defile me all you want. You can defile my name all you want. But the minute that you want to defile the name of my God, I will not do it. I will not cross that line. You know, you and I, we need to learn that lesson today. We need to purpose in our hearts that, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to go halfway. I'm going to go all the way with you. Amen. Daniel took a stand. How do you live under God in a culture that is increasingly hostile? You must predetermine your resolution. If, you're, if you are an alcoholic, now listen, let's just be real. In a room this size with a group this, this large, some people in here struggle with alcohol. How do you resolve in your mind if you're going to say, I have a problem with alcohol, and it's an addiction for me, and if I'm going to be free of that, what do I need to do? You need to purpose in your heart. Anybody in here that's ever done Celebrate Recovery, and I have, you understand what it says. It says you must become accountable to others, and you must purpose in your heart that you're going to get rid of every obstacle that would make you fall back into that addiction again. Does an alcoholic need to go inside the bar? Not until they become really, really strong in their resolve. Does a drug addict need to hang around other drug addicts? No. Uh, as Brother Mike used to say, I'm going to quote him, you've got to change your play places, your playmates, and your play pretties. If you're going to change your life, you've got to get rid of all that stuff in your life. Now, can you go back later and try to influence those friends? Yes, but you've got to give yourself time to get your resolve up and make yourself strong. Uh, if you want to eat healthy, what do you need to do? You need to go home. Uh, and I'm talking to myself, I need to go home, I need to throw all them Twinkies out, amen? Uh, all them Swiss rolls and ding-dongs and all that stuff. If you want to remain, if you want to eat healthy, you need to go home and get rid of all the temptations and get rid of all that stuff that will weaken your resolve, amen? So most of us in life, if we're being influenced by culture, it's really this matter. You need to change your resolve, and you need to go, and you need to Change things in your life so that you'll be more influenced by God than you are influenced by culture. Amen? Uh, it's like two dogs. If you take a spirit dog and a flesh dog, and they represent the spirit that lives inside of you, the spirit of God, and they represent your flesh and blood and your, um, uh, your flesh. All right? If you feed one dog more than the other, that dog becomes the stronger God. Uh, the stronger dog, amen. And so if you want to feed the spirit inside of you, what do you do? You need to feed it more spirit. I need to pray more. I need to read the word more. I need to spend more time studying God's word. Uh, if I want to feed uh, the flesh dog over here, 
then I just listen to culture. I watch more TV. I read more magazines. I read more worldly books. I watch more movies. I get. I let more influence from that side of things come in. Everybody in here, you're feeding one of those two dogs. And really, to make a change, what you and I have to resolve is, I need to feed my spirit dog more. All right? If I'm going to be a truly sold-out follower of God, I need to feed my spirit more. And in order to feed your spirit, you've got to resolve to spend more time with God. You've got to resolve to read the Word more. Uh, listen, I know that's true in my life. And if it's true in the preacher's life, then it's probably true in everybody's life out here. I need to spend more time reading the Word of God. I need to spend more time in prayer. Uh, there's just not, it's not a matter, I, I can't do it too much. Amen? Um, Julie, if you'd go ahead and come. Uh, I'm going to give you this last thing here, and then we'll be done. Uh, God has called us not to run from culture. God has called us to influence culture. And again, I want to, uh, I want to um, encourage our young people here. Young people, um, this message is probably more important for y'all than anybody. And I'd say, when I say young people, that's a pretty broad statement. Uh, and uh, old gets to be a different age the older I get. But I'd say especially everybody, if you're 30 or under, you have got to strengthen your resolve. Because as time goes on, guess what? All of us older ones in the group will be gone eventually. Uh, and guess what? If there's going to be any church left, if there's going to be any influence of God in any of this culture, it will be you young people that have to decide I'm going to stand for God. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what the world around me is doing. And listen, I'll tell you, I was spoiled. I came up in a time where I still felt like Christianity was the majority, not the minority. So I had it easy. A lot of these older people, I believe we had it easy compared to what you're going to have it. And so I know what it took when I was a young person, the resolve it took. And I'm going to tell you this, it's going to take much more resolve on your port. But it is so worth it. Amen. Living for God is so worth it. Is it always the easiest thing to do? No, but it is always the best thing to do. Amen. Um, in culture, there's two different things between culture and Jesus. If you live for culture, culture tells you promote yourself. It's all about you. Climb the corporate ladder, step over anybody you got to to get there. Just get to the top. It's all about you. Life is all about you. It's about your comfort. It's about your happiness. And it's how much money you make, how, mu how nice a car you drive. Chase after all those things. Promote yourself. Jesus commands us to do the exact opposite. Deny yourself. Glorify God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. Uh, culture tells us to consume. We are to be consumers. Uh, listen, you and I live in the day of uh, Amazon. You can, we don't even have to go to the store anymore, do we? We can be consumers and sit in our living room the entire time. And we can just hit buy, buy, click buy all day long. And we just become consumers in our life. If you live for Jesus, he says you're not to be a consumer, you're to be a giver. You need to live your life sold out, giving to others, serving others. Amen. And then last but not least, I kind of already mentioned it, but uh, culture tells you pursue happiness. It's all about you. Can I burst your bubble today? It is not about you. It's not about your happiness. It's not about your comfort. Jesus Christ came and died on a rugged, cruel cross, and it was not about his happiness. It was not about his comfort. It was so that his Father might be glorified and that he would provide a bridge for you and I to the Father. Amen.
And that is what you and I. So what does Jesus say? He says, you don't need to pursue happiness. You need to pursue righteousness. You need to pursue living for me. You need to pursue living a righteous, holy life. Now, that used to scare me because I equate that as, well, I can't be perfect. I'm going to sin all the time, and I can't live without sin. And I had to be taught that it's not my righteousness. It's like putting on clothing. He says, I am to clothe myself in the righteousness of God. I am to clothe myself in the holiness of God. Amen. You would bow your head and close your eyes today. Maybe you're here today, and you'd say, Mark, I'm, I, I, I don't even really know if I know the Lord. I, I don't know where I'm at spiritually. I don't know if I were to die right now, whether I would go to heaven or hell. I don't know where I would spend eternity. And I want to tell you today uh, that he is always as close as a prayer away because it's not based on what you do. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for you. And so I want to invite you today, if you've never prayed that prayer, or maybe you've wandered far away from God, and you need to rededicate yourself, recommit yourself to God, would you just pray this prayer with me? And pray this prayer and say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, right now, the best way I know how, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And save me from myself. I want to live for you, Jesus. Father, we love you today. Thank you so much, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for these uh, these two young men, God, just coming and recommitting themselves to you, Father God. And, uh, Lord, I know that, God, you hear our cries. And, Lord, when we wander away from you, I thank you that you're always there to just bring us back into the fold, Lord, just like the prodigal son. God, you just bring us right back in and restore us, Father, and uh, forgive us and put us right back where we were before we left you, Father. And so I just want to pray, God, that you'd help all of us to strengthen our resolve, God. May we take a stand for you. Uh, Lord, this is a culture that, Lord, we're going to have to take a, a, a bigger stand on, and we're going to have to, uh, Lord, resolve in our heart that, God, we want to live for you, and we want to be an influence, and we want to be godly people uh, in a culture that makes it increasingly difficult, God. So I pray for everybody here today, Lord. Help us to spend more time with you. Help us to increase our faith in you, and may we care more about what you think than what the world around us thinks, Father, and help us to take a stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen.